Cascadia and the edge of the world, Euphomet presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. Good evening and thank you for joining me on this edition of Night Drift. This is a podcast exclusive edition of Night Drift. A conversation that we had a few weeks ago with mystic Tim Rothschild. I'm joined by co-host Darcy Staniforth. This is a conversation we had over on the Euphemet Patreon. And if you like what you hear and want to be involved as a live audience member, as a participant in these shows, you can go ahead and head over to euphemet.com to learn more about that. Aside from it being a very moving and great conversation with Tim and Darcy, we didn't have a night drift live broadcasted on Sunday due to some crazy travel that I had to do and incredibly chaotic weather where our guest Nathan Isaac is from. And also let you know that our debut of season five, uh, thank you so much for listening. Season five continues in just a few short weeks, starting in the first week of February. The season continues with a new episode each week. That's the first week of February. Euphemet Season 5 returns. And until then, just keep joining me here on Night Drift. We have a live episode this Sunday, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, on KKNW 1150 AM in Seattle, and broadcasting on nightdrift.com worldwide. Get comfortable, go for a drive. This is a massive episode, an epic conversation, and keep looking up. And we have a guest tonight who has, uh, I, I don't know, I, I guess you, you have, uh, you've been a co-host several times throughout the life of Night Drift and these hangouts, and it's m- my best friend, Tim Rothschild. Hey! Hey! And this I should is give... the power trio right here, by the way. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. Uh, no, Tim, you've mentioned the same thing. Yeah, well, yeah, of course. Jim, Jim invited me on, and he's like, yeah, we should get, like, another interesting guest and i was appalled by the suggestion (laughs) it's like what are you you talking about man yeah i'm the guest yeah he was offended he didn't want to have anything to do with it well you you know i've been in bed for a couple years i got a lot to talk about you know (laughs) it's true it's true and and now we bring you this a conversation from the other side of tim's bed (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought you were going to a commercial break. I'm not even kidding. Yeah, I was going to throw it to KKNW real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, before we get going, I do have to just express my thanks to everyone that's been listening to the radio show live over the last couple of weeks and then as a podcast as well. It's been such a great adventure in 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 learning how to fill time appropriately. Um, uh, I see John McEdward is in the room right now with us. Uh, of course, he he composes the music for the Euphemet document series. Hey, John. John came in like super last minute, um, uh, uh, like not on his regard, but my regard. I didn't see the message that he had actually called until five minutes after he did. I brought him in and he hardly had any time at all to share his story but he shared it so succinctly as if he was a seasoned like sort of coast to coast am caller mm. like like long time listener uh long time caller is what it felt like uh so john if you want a chance later tonight to just share your story with everyone in here 
and we can rap about it a little bit. I would love that. <laughs> you practiced. <laughs> yeah, I saw it in the chat. <laughs> Very good. That's Very good. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, Heather, an hour is really short. I've learned that. And this is uh, uh, a little breaking news. On Tuesday, I have a meeting with the station where we're talking about extending Night Drift to two hours. That's so, a good meeting to have, Jim. It'll be so much closer to 1990s Dreamland. I'm not even kidding. We're going to bring back the whale song. We're going to bring back Linda Moulton Howe. It's going to be me and her talking about crop circles and cattle mutilations every single week. That's Whitley Strieber, right? If I remember correctly. Whitley Strieber came through. I mean, so he does Dreamland now. Yeah. yeah right? Yeah. But he took it over from art. But you uh, remember the days, the quickening. Tim. Well, I wasn't. Uh, I was. I was just a wee boy back then. You know, I wasn't into this stuff yet. Really? I hadn't, I hadn't yet. No, I was honestly. I was playing football and drinking beer. That's my story. Right. Yeah. No, I was uh, looking at my uh, the the grade of my comic books, and then um, tucking in early with yeah. a cup of tea, listening to see what Willie Strieber is going to say. About. There, there is always a real interesting divide in our world between like, I have been a nerd my entire life, or I have come to nerdery later in life, right? Like explaining, <laughs> I was explaining to some students the other day when I was talking about uh, some of the longtime nerdery in my life. And I was like, yeah, as you can tell, I did not get invited to parties. Right? <laughs> like, you just Things that leave your mouth, you're like, mm -hmm, I hear it now. I hear it now. <laughs> well, Got it. And, and the good thing is that Tim has, I mean, I don't think overcompensated is even a word. You have literally, you, you've gone to mystery school, man. I mean, you've, you went like, I see your X-Men comic books and I'm going to raise you becoming an X-Men. That's what happened there. Yeah. I'm going to raise you mystery school. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's what, you know, you realize you can't read the comic books the whole time. At one point you gotta, you gotta get in there. Yeah. You gotta be the comic book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's true. I mean, I like, I, I think like if everyone lived like that a little more, uh, maybe not the violent vigilanteism as much, but you know, maybe like one could say it has its time and place. I don't know. Are you calling me a violent vigilante? No, no, not yet. We I haven't can't. got there yet in your story, I don't think. No, no, no. You have... uh, yeah, Heather says Tim became weird valedictorian. <laughs> That's amazing, Heather. Tim, what would if you had a Letterman jacket right now, based upon your shamanic practice, what would like the what would like the um I don't know, the honors be on it? The, the icons probably um a for awake okay uh r for relationship mm -hmm. you know so some uh maybe you know, it, there'd be h on there for healer you know mm -hmm. you have to have the n for non-dual mm, k for kindness yeah c for compassion c, mm -hmm. cia compassion and action mm, so cia i see what you're i see what you're getting at here oh yeah <laughs> this is what you want jim yeah, I sure do. I sure do. Tim turning to the dark side. He's a mole. So what he is. And meanwhile, I have a letterman's jacket from Tall Flags. <laughs> that is how I earned my letterman's jacket in high school. I lettered in color guard. Thank you. <laughs> I, love I still it. own that jacket. 
Well, the world mm. is better for it. <laughs> this is for sure. Okay, everyone. We're having uh, a great time here tonight, and that's what the, these hangouts are about. They're not about us, um, you know, forcing. Because, as Tim, you may say, um, a part of what your practice is potentially is non-separation and the inclusion of all, right? And so having something like a, a serious, deep conversation about the nature of reality in which we'll dive into, paired with talking about uh, nerdy tropisms, um, it's it's all relative and it's all supposed to be together, isn't it? I like to think so, you know, because one of the first things you learn in the mystery schools is that um, all of reality is present with whatever face it is now showing you. So with whatever is now appearing, everything else is connected to it, you know, so you could look mm -hmm. at it linearly to the fact that the, the letterman's jackets that we're all wearing or not wearing or imagining, you know, somebody made that, somebody picked the materials, somebody designed it i don't know if you just saw that but my cat hanuman just went for a leap for my plate of food that was right next to me missed and fell down <laughs> so I, I, but I digress so there's a there's a there's a the the connected web of everything you know if you just look at just a letterman's jacket and then the other side the way we do healings the way we work with relationship as it is and reality as it is is by just dealing with what's on the surface so hmm. reality is always offering us one side but it always has this silent opposite. So uh, we can unpack that as much as we want, but uh, yeah, man, it's all included. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, I mean, like comedy is such an important part of this. I think that goes back to some of your early podcasting work with deep inside the rabbit hole, which I think still to this day has a little bit of a cult following and that um, probably if people go and listen to it now is a real clarion call for the shit storm that we were about to emerge into. No, <laughs> I just spoke with David Weiss the other day for the first time in years. Yeah. Mm. I had to go in my cave for a little while. And I reached out to him because I was actually doing a recording for another radio show as a warm-up to start to do work with you again, Jim. And it that's was right. from a, a rabbit hole fan. Mm. You know, so mm -hmm. I don't know if you knew that, but that's it, mm -hmm. uh, a synchronicity there. So I called Dave just to check in and see, see what was going on. And uh, he let he reminded me. He said, "You know, let, like all the predictions have come true from Rabbit Hole, like five oh, years, man. ago, six years ago. So wild. So, uh, you know, and at that know. time, it was beyond belief, yeah. right? Yet yeah. sometimes reality happens that way. Uh, what you think is beyond belief, what you think is maybe too on the nose, what you think is almost too movie like, seems to present itself in very real ways down the line somewhere." To think about things like transhumanism wasn't so hard to imagine for me, but to be able to look at various books of prophecy and to be able to pinpoint certain years when things were going to start to collapse, that to me was the most interesting. Because hmm. I still don't understand how all that unfolded and all that worked. You, I don't know if you remember the prophecy of the popes. That was a pretty popular thing for a little while. when they're talking No, what, what was that? Prophecy of the popes was about uh, a prophecy that the last pope was going to be, the last pope that we had was going to be the last pope for a little mm. while. And it turned out to actually be true the way things unfolded. Mm. So uh, point being, there, there's a lot of prophecies that now understanding the way reality unfolds, I understand, I, I hold prophecy a little bit differently. It's the ability to see the truth in something, the potential for it to unfold and the most likely mm. scenario. 
you know, so I could be prophetic in that, uh, you know, if I'm a good baseball recruiter, you know, I could see a young kid and say, I, you know, that kid's got what it takes, you know, in that way I could be prophetic. And then there are just some people who are built a particular way to look at, you know, uh, collectives, you know, uh, like, like, uh, continents or, uh, entire countries and start to look at the destiny of nations, you know, to steal something from, um, I'm, I'm losing the names. I'll come back to it, but you know, you, you understand pe people have this ability to see through the, the dense nowness of everything and, and peer into the future by, by seeing what's right here. I had a really interesting conversation on night drift last night with Eleanor Criswell. And uh, she's really one of the pioneers of site research. Um, in the 60s and 70s, she she ran around with um, all of the names that are recognizable in in the Psy research field, and to this day is a board member of IONS, which you know, um, of course, Dean Radin, who Tim Tim you and I interviewed last year for for Night Drift, as well. Uh, she's a, she's a part of um, that group. And she wrote a very fascinating blog recently, which we talked about, which was presenting this idea that uh, psi genes are hereditary. And, well, psi genes are, no this is what it is. Psi genes are normal for everyone. The act of suppressing those psi genes is hereditary. And so, for, for whatever reason, the suppression of these psychic genes, which is the anomaly, is uh, passed down, you know, through the bloodline, through suppression. Um, which was fascinating because it's a, it's a little different of an idea than, than what I think some people think of is, is that maybe some people are blessed with like sort of psychic ability or these you know, sort of powers to, to, to put it in the most layman sense, mm -hmm. but this idea that no, 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 those are the inherent part and the other part not being able to access it. That's the thing that can like run through the line and is an aberration to what the whole system is. But just, you know, she, she pointed out this interesting theory that in her experience and from the research that she's done and the research that she's studied, it points to this idea that once individuals have psychic impressions that um, are not too dissimilar to, to premonitions, that they will most certainly come true in some form and that they can't do anything about it. And so she was revealing from her studies mm -hmm. that destiny, she believed, is real and that it can't be changed. To me, uh, I didn't, of course, like, I didn't challenge her on this. It's only one hour program. <laughs> but I am wondering what what your take on some of that is, Tim, based off of the life you live and your work that you do. Well, you know, non-dual work is about holding paradox. So one of the questions we're always holding is how can you have an all-knowing God? And by God, I mean reality, life, you know, whatever this is that we're swimming in. And still have freedom of choice hmm. so how is that possible and i think um scientists like the one you had on your show last night are taking a look at these questions from different vantage points and we're getting a piece of the whole you know and i think that's a really interesting take it just make to me it just makes sense you know as a non-dual capitalist we'd like to turn things on their head just like that woman did the scientist you know and she said you know what it's not 
that the fact that only a few of us get these psychic genes, you know, it's that we all have them and it's, you know, this other thing that's actually causing it. It's a behavior. It's uh, you know, that, that major, that just, it just makes sense that it would be built in. But at the same so time, I would add, if she dug into it further, there's no doubt that, you know, you're going to have some people who are more psychic than others. It's, it's the old nature versus nurture, just unpacked mm. through a uh, dimension. Right. Yeah. So it's always going to be the same thing, in my opinion. That's the fractal nature of reality. That nature versus nurture seems so important in our relationship with the paranormal, though, as well. Because it, it appears as if those that can surrender or suppress this idea that all of that is bullshit and that they allow themselves to suspend their disbelief for opportunity for things to happen to open themselves up to this thing. More often than not, those people experience things in great in greater degrees than those that suppress that idea. If you walk into a haunted house and say, this is bullshit, I'm not going to believe anything, you're going to be yeah. less likely to be, you know, greeted by a spook. Yeah. Well, you know, we say that we can only relate to that which we can only pull out of the plenum. So we can only relate to uh, certain aspects of reality. Uh, that we can relate to within ourselves mm. right so we can only pull out of all the life is all that the totality of this life is that which we can relate to i keep yeah. saying this thing but it's it, mm -hmm. it's like really it means a lot to me <laughs> it's yeah. like you know it's like the, the that's like the fundamental core of my work so if you're if you're not uh in touch with that aspect of yourself there's a good chance you're going to miss something but at mm -hmm. the same time the same time there are these dramatic times when life just breaks through and force you know sweeps you away and you know you hear about those things as well and the the problem is uh that becomes very shocking and mm. it's like getting mauled by a lion you go into like some dreamlike state or something if you're not prepared for that sort of thing you know reality also has that built-in kindness and strange uh it, it's you know i see everything as it's on a spectrum mm. right? so you throw it all together and there's a million different ways that we could explore this. But always, again, it comes down to the fractal nature of reality. If you're going to explore nature versus nurture, it's going to show up. That same kind of dynamic is going to show up everywhere. And then you're going to have a spectrum of people that are born with psychic genes and a, a spectrum of people that are born with like kind of, you know, they have them, but, you know, they haven't been used in the lineage for very long. You right. know, and then you've got the behaviorals, the behavior of the family, the, the, uh, the, the natural tendencies of the family. And then you also have a certain amount of luck or if mm. I was a let's say karma, you know, and, you know, is this mm. person, you know, you look at someone's astrology, oh, this lifetime, they're going to really bump into something. And if they haven't, if they haven't cultivated their psychic gene, they might miss it. Or if they have cultivated the psychic gene, they might finally get it. You know, is it, is it that lifetime? Let's stay on this tip. It's fascinating. Let's stay on this tip. Those moments when individuals are unprepared for some sort of, some sort of traumatic paranormal event, Right. Because we hear these things, too. And you mentioned it, that, that sometimes these things creep up. They're unannounced. And, and we hear these stories. And, and it's it, it's absolutely contrary to, to the, you know, sort of the, the idea that I just presented as to where, like, the suspension of disbelief, opening yourself up, allowing, you know, preparing for these type of things will allow more in. So these instances where they happen and they catch people off guard, what do we think allows that to happen what what do you think allows those you know sort of experiences to slip through the veil and 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 be traumatic events for individuals 
So for the sake of the show, we can definitely speculate and explore, but I would just say as part of my job, what I would do is I would see how much I could tolerate living in the mystery of that. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know if we're ever going to really get an answer. That's that's yeah. just the truth when it comes down to it. You know, um, I don't know if I don't know if the human design is particularly built to answer that kind of question, but you know, the fact is it does happen, right? Yeah. So why not speculate? <clears throat> so let me narrow this down because I, I see where you're coming from here, especially as a healer and a practitioner. <clears throat> Context, right? Mm-hmm. Like you approach everything a case by case basis. There's not going to be a one-size-fit-all approach to any of this, especially in terms of those that, for example, in my case, those that are uh, a, a traumatic paranormal experience is thrust upon them. It's going to be different for everyone involved. Right. A better question might be, someone comes to you uh, and they need your help in resolving a, a traumatic paranormal event. What are the step, steps that you take with with someone to help discover maybe the the cause of how that happened and and what they can do about that so you know first thing i think about is that time when um i was first introduced to black magic mm-hmm. remember that story jim mm-hmm. it's a great one should i tell it briefly? yeah please so this is a time when i i was still uh i had moved home to start the third thing network and i was seeing clients out of my mom's basement at the time, you know, like charging like 30, $40 a session, that kind of thing. Just, you know, come in, let's, let's explore together. I'll show you what I do, whatever. And, um, I still hadn't really been exposed to so much paranormal stuff. This was just, you know, again, I was just a couple years into this, you know, and uh, a client comes in and we've been working together for a few months. And this is the first time that she was particularly happy. She came in, she was like, you know, the healings are working and, um, uh, I, I got no problems today. I got nothing to talk about. And just a few minutes into her sharing that, uh, I started to become aware of some dark smoky substance in the corner of my eye. And it, it was like a smoke coming down the steps, um, down the basement steps. And it wasn't totally, it wasn't like a bellowing black smoke, like out of, uh, some kind of, um, factory, you know, uh, piping or something. It was right. like, it was like translucent, but I knew mm-hmm. it was there. And I saw it creeping towards my client. And right as I sort of realized that something was happening, uh, she broke out in hives and started hyperventilating. And, uh, you know, things took a turn for the worst. And wow. I had no idea what to do. This was like super out of my <laughs> um, locus of control. I, I, you know, I had no <laughs> professional understanding of this. So I, performed a healing the best healing that i thought would protect her in that moment and then i did you know i did some reiki i basically did whatever i could to make her feel okay and she let me know that she suspected that her um, aunt had um, been performing black magic on her and her cousins Mm -hmm. and that uh, one of her cousins had already died because of this uh curse that she put on them and so i had no framework for this you know so um, at the time I reached out to, you know, and I still have the emails too. I reached out to uh, the director of my school, a society of souls, because she's more cosmically inclined. This is a woman who sings with the angels every day and uh, gets weather reports for other planets. You know, if you're kind of person that believes in that sort of thing, I am. Um, and she's also the one that, you know, trains me to work with uh, fairies and all that kind of stuff. So to me, you know, she's, she's a very trustworthy uh, and uh, professional person when it comes to these matters. I reached out to her and she got right back to me 
And she said, yeah, absolutely. This is black magic. And um, she's not at risk in terms of uh, losing her life or anything, but I'm going to have to go on a journey later and I'll reach out to you when I'm back. Hmm. So basically um, she lived in Montana. I was in New York. It doesn't matter because she's journeying through space and time on a shamanic journey. Wow. She came back. She sent me a couple of emails describing that the great, 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 great aunt had uh, buried a dead animal in the ground in uh, Armenia and uh, had performed a ritual in spite of uh, one of the family members that was in uh, my client's lineage. Hmm. And so it had something to do with uh, preventing them from being happy. And so whenever they reached, there was a certain ceiling on their happiness. And I learned a lot about black magic through this case because I realized that there was a lot that we could do consciously to not engage in it. And uh, I learned how to meditate and how to pray and ask for help from other beings. And essentially what we did was we prayed on it and uh, we figured out that we needed to do a ritual, seven days, lighting a candle, ask for help. Uh, and we needed to talk to the ancestor that had started this whole thing and kicked it off and ask them to break the connection with the current ant that was pulling strength from the great, 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 great aunt. Hmm. And, uh, it worked. Uh, temporarily. And then my client couldn't help herself, but she got back involved with it because uh, the aunt was um, showing up in her dreams and nightmares and was um, trying to do all kinds of stuff. And so my client kept engaging with it. So we had to keep redoing different uh, prayers, different meditations, reconnecting and figuring out what we needed to do to uh, continue breaking it every time the bond was created once again. So um as far as I know, when it comes to black magic, and first thing I think of as I say this that says otherwise is uh, my friend uh, Julian, he's a shaman. You know, he talks about how black magic is used between shamans and the Amazon, and it is nasty stuff. Like they talk about killing each other. Yeah. And the way I understand it is you have to get hooked in a certain sense, and you have to engage in it for it to have power over you. So, uh, jury is still out for me. And I'm thankful that that was my only real major case that I've ever had to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. So the answer is when someone has a traumatic experience like that, it, it Call could someone. easily be, what's that? Call somebody who knows what they're doing. Because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> it could, it could quickly be raised up the flagpole. Wow. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, there's there's someone in the room tonight that um, to, together we've been working on a project that involves potentially a um, pretty incredible curse. And um, yeah, I can't believe I I forgot about this story and what it revolved around because there's some really interesting parallels. And we'll talk about that later. But you know, you know who you are listening um, in this room tonight. Fascinating. Can I, add, can I add something to what we've been talking about? Because this keeps coming up in my brain. As far as the what she brought up about generations, right? And like that, that um, the side genes are hereditary, but then suppressed. So the two things that come to mind, and again, this is like around the academic work I do is one, the idea of generational trauma right of thinking about for generations and generations of poverty racism oppression those kinds of things where 
and and even cultural trauma where if you are raised in a very strict religious way like that would be seen something of the devil or something evil right so it seems to me almost that there are more reasons for those things to be suppressed than encouraged especially if we think about our western culture that is tends to be very judeo-christian and is very in that binary of good and evil mm -hmm. and then when you're asking tim about like what do you think it and, and i love tim like let's revel in the mystery i love it like it just reminds me of the movie line let's just not know um but especially <laughs> in like this like google driven time of like oh well, let me just you know look this up but i think that on both sides it's about like the space right because if there is space for it to come in even if they're unaware of that space to me it feels like that is part of what happens because i think about the ancestral work that i do and i've talked about this on here a little bit and on some other shows but like i purposely only ask healthy ancestors to come through like mm. i'm very clear on that work like if i am asking for something healthy ancestors because you mm. just you don't know like we want to project back and think like they were oh my god look at this or my namesake right. or all of these things but we don't truly know because mm -hmm. we haven't like lived with them and like to tim's point like here's the story where generation like so many generations have passed that this woman started this chain and it comes it has come through with this current amp that's like connecting into it yeah right and i also think too a lot of times tying back to what we're talking about with comic books i think and the nature versus nurture i think people go towards harmful things like hurt people hurt other people mm, right so like the idea that someone would start doing black magic to harm someone is because they've been so hurt that is the space where they find their power and exercise that power. It's, right. it's true. You know, the great, 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 great aunt felt slighted in some way. And that was it. She was acting it out. You know, this is just a different way. If you have this relationship to reality, you can use this kind of technology. And, uh, and they did, you know, and, you know, about just, I just want to bring this forward. You know, when we talk about reveling in the mystery, I would even say, being willing to tolerate the mystery because one of the main functions of the ego is uh, it wants to be safe and happy all the time, right? So one of the ways that it feels safe and happy is by knowing things. And once it knows things, then it can control them, right? But we won't necessarily evolve or grow without a certain amount of unknown being let in, right? A certain kind of spaciousness just to let something new come in. So a lot of my work is around being able to tolerate the mystery. That doesn't mean dismissing it or just saying, you know, I forget it. I'm not interested, right? I'm obviously I'm very interested. I'm hanging out with this crew. You know, this is like a major part of my life, exploring the paranormal and the, uh, you know, the cosmic side of life and so on. Um, it's more about tolerating the mystery enough to let good questions come forward, sort of arising out of nowhere. You know, there is a certain kind of organizing principle to life and to reality where if we can get out of our own way and have a healing version of our ego show up that is spacious enough to let these questions arise or drop in from some other place, that's no different than people talking about tuning the instrument or, or raising your vibration to a particular place and it manifesting as a thought. 
then thought then moves to emotion, that emotion then can move to action. So uh, good questions are going to lend, are always going to give you answers and then also more good questions. And then that's the whole thing. Now you're pulling on that thread of light in the ignorance, in the darkness, right? And we are surrounded in like a tapestry of light beings in ignorance, you know, in the darkness. So it's a good question if we can tolerate that reality and realize that we are actually held in the ignorance and that these good questions are what's going to lead us through it, but we're not going to know where they are. It's just we're laying down the track as we walk it, you know, right foot, left foot, asking good questions, getting answers, letting the answers move through us, metabolizing it, digesting it, transforming as a person. And now new questions come forward. Follow that again. That's what I believe what it's all about. So starting off with like in the rabbit hole years, you know, you could see the pit, the pitfalls, the promises and the pitfalls of exploring something like the conspiracy or the paranormal or prophecy alone without doing the work on yourself. You're going to get locked into a particular narrative. Yeah. And that particular narrative is going to minimize, coming back to what you were saying before, Jim, it's going to minimize how much you can notice and relate to out of the plenum, out of the totality right. of all that life is. Right. right? So you can see how it's all connected to each other. Yeah. You know, so for me, when I talk about doing healing and awakening work, it, it's it that is my version of going to that room in the X-Men where the sentinels come out and they're training and they're fighting. Because for me, healing is learning how to tolerate what's here. Right. Like saying early on in the Kabbalah, we understand that it's all right here. There's a hot and if I was a physicist, I'd say there's a holographic nature to reality. So whatever's right here, even though it's just a small little piece of reality, obviously reality is like infinite. It's insane. Right. But we get the small little piece. So based on our capacity to understand these mystical laws, we can see the whole picture in it. We really can. And we can use certain things like, again, the fractal nature and the holographic nature and understand how it's unfolding to do prophetic things. Or we can work on tolerating what's here long enough to simply let a good question come forward. And that's all we need. And, and that's how you build trust, actually, as well. Trust with life, trust mm -hmm. with reality, and understand that it is actually holding us if we can work in cooperation with it and not push against it and ask for some you know, I don't believe in this. So like bring some ghost on or whatever. And then you get like the worst, you get like the worst scenario ever. Cause that's what you, you know, <laughs> right. uh, before we move on, Lucy has a question. She asks, is there the possibility of healing from the other side? I feel like my grandmother wants to connect to let me know something of what she's learned and healed. Oh, I'd say absolutely. Absolutely. So I'd love a follow-up question from that, you know, if you want to know more, but uh, I, there's, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, Lucy, I think you know my story, you know, with, with my brother. It's, yeah, at this point, it actually wasn't so recent. And Jim, I don't think you even know this. Um, I finally asked my teacher, Jason Shulman, who has, uh, you know, pretty strong proclivity to talking with the dead. And he was saying, he, he kind of laughed. He goes, oh, your brother is doing the same thing that you're doing here. He's <laughs> learning how to heal and have a certain kind of pleasure of the heart. He's just doing it from the other side. Hmm. And so he's a teacher and he's a trickster and he's doing all these things. But um, he, I think he reached out to me because that was a part of his purpose. So uh, Lucy goes back to, to more good questions. You know, why is she reaching out? What does this have to do? And not jumping to a particular narrative too quickly. 
but instead listening to it and following your impulses. And, you know, if you want to connect to her, do that. And you can find, again, you could bring it up the uh, flag, bring it up the flagpole and find somebody who's good at that sort of thing. Or you could train and do it yourself. Uh, there's there's probably a million th- ors that I, you and ands that I could throw onto this. And I think all of them are, are trustworthy and, and worthwhile to look at if you can tolerate each one. And eventually, just like, I don't know, picking the right angel card out of an angel deck, you'll kind of feel like one of these thoughts or one of these impulses is a little bit more warm than the other, or maybe mm. you're an old person, you know, and over time you get to know yourself. So, you, you know, grandma reaching out, yes, on one level is grandma reaching out, but another level, it's both of you evolving and awakening and healing together. Because what's this about? We really don't know. Yes. Yeah. The expression of that relationship, really. And this is a good uh, time to remind everyone that if you'd like to join the conversation, just go ahead and raise your hand and bring you on to to share your stories or um, whatever. Ask questions or or just tell us how you've been doing. Because I love I love updates from you folks. Tim, this conversation is incredible for a lot of different reasons, not just because of what you're sharing with us right now, but to see how healthy you are right now. Um, a lot of people, I think, that are a part of this group and have followed our work together and our conversations know that you've been sick for a long time and you've been dealing with stuff. And I think there's a even bigger story to that that we'll share at probably another time, but... Now that we are having this conversation from the other side of your bed, metaphorically and cosmically, um, how does it how does it feel right now, in this moment, to be having this conversation and to be speaking with such clarity about some of these ideas? You can tell, huh? It's been, yeah. Some of this stuff is integrated, right? Yep. You know, they say it takes seven years. So I'm about eight years since I was introduced to the school. And since I was first introduced to the consciousness that um, is in Jason Shulman's lineage, his revelation with the healing modality built into the Kabbalah, you know, and so um, it's starting to integrate. And I got to say, like like you, Jim, and like like Darcy, uh, I feel comfortable, you know, and this is the most comfortable I've felt behind a microphone. And dare I say, in my own body, uh, first time in my entire life. And to the best of my ability, I'm trying to just be myself and just be seated in that. And it's, it's, I'm so glad you asked. It's wonderful. It very much feels like that you have, you, you are grounded in a sense that you're not having to fight for attention. (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, I do a lot of healing (laughs) and you know me. I love it. Um, Listen, uh, we were having a really uh, a fun conversation a few weeks ago about um, some of the things that are reoccurring to you now that you have more space to delve into them again. And one of those things are interactions with Faye or the fairy. Mm-hmm. Can you describe a little bit about what that's, what that's like, what, what this relationship is like? What are you talking about when you reference this? Yeah. Well, you know, it's still, I'm still getting warmed up. You know, I even have the, have the book right next to me and I wish I could show you, uh, maybe I could show you the, gl- uh, the glyph, yeah, sure. um, but you could, I actually don't think it's too hard to find a copy of it. If you look up fairy spelled F A E R I E, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then either John Matthews or David Spangler. These are two guys that have written very trustworthy books, and they've also created a couple different card decks uh, to work with the she. And basically what the card decks do is they tune your instrument. And so they start to be able to tune you to another dimension, which is right here. And it turns out, you know, the fairies were here, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago and uh, the humankind and, and fairy kind lived side by side. But there was a divide at one point. It's actually I mean, it's a fascinating story. It's, it's mm. an alternative story to the unfolding of planet Earth, which actually has different names depending on what dimension or what vibration you're living on in Earth. Mm. I love that we're talking like this, right? This is- <laughs> This is the best. <laughs> you know, you don't get to have these kinds of conversations too often, you know. But so so the story goes, you know, with it started with David Spangler, John Matthews and some people before them. But around this time, the reason why it's important to connect at this time. So if you're listening and you feel called or an impulse in any way, I would recommend just exploring it because they're looking for ambassadors. And what they want is there's been apparently there's a divide in the fairies where half of them want nothing to do with us. And the other half are saying, you know what, we, there's still time left, even though they're totally ruining the planet. And that's bleeding over into our vibration since everything is connected. We, 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 there's time to heal it. And so, you know, they've got freedom of will as, as well as we do. And so nothing, according to me, it seems to be, um, uh, foretold like there's no there's no conclusion here we don't know how mm. it's going to play out mm. so it's there is a, a particular kind of urgency you know mm. so um when i talk when i talk about you know what i'm doing with the fairies i'm still getting warmed up because it turns out um to do this work you have to be physically well that's one of the major things mm. i mean just you cannot tolerate they won't even come and visit you if you can't tolerate it mm. and um that's just the way it is. And so um, I work by meditating on a particular glyph and uh, I work on tuning my system uh, uh, until I'm exhausted, basically, which happens hmm. pretty quickly these days. But um, I, I think about it a lot and there's there's other ways to do it that I won't get into, but you'll find your way. And if you are interested, I recommend exploring those two authors first. And if you like what you see, uh, reach out to me, I guess. I don't know. Tim, are you aware of the paranormal community's intimidation of fairies? Did no. I say that right? That they are, as a community at large, very intimidated by fairy. And are we talking about, you know, Icelandian fairies and that sort of thing? Just in general, the uh, atypical fairy anywhere. So, Darcy, can you can you add some context to this? Because it's something I've come across like What's very the- routinely within the community, this yeah. sense of intimidation. I, I feel like there is like, I've seen like two schools. I either see people that are really intimidated because uh, of what they, like the people I've experienced are so concerned about the idea of like the trickster and like with, you know, uh, working with them in that way. And like, if they don't know what they're doing, oh my gosh, I'm just going to like wreak havoc, like on my house. Mm. But then I've also encountered some people who have like worked with fairies and like nurtured fairies in their own life. And, but they're so adamant about it. Like Tim is always great at explaining things in a very like calm way, but the people I have heard talk about it are like, you have to do this. You've got to make these offers. Like it's, it's, it's really on both sides, 
but I, I think the intimidation is there. I don't know that I could tell you, Tim, either which type of fairy, but it just seems like fae in general. People are a little bit like, I don't know. I'll take a ghost over a fairy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. From, from my experience, my personal research, it doesn't seem to me like the ones that don't like us, they don't, they just don't want anything to do with us. And Mm -hmm. there might be something else going on. You know, there's plenty of beings out there and there's plenty of tricksters out there, but the fairies that I'm talking about are the ones that want to make a connection and they're doing it in the service of healing. And um, for me, a lot of this, the reason why I am calm about this is because most of my work is to live in non-duality and to live in non-duality, you can't be up in the intellect and using your brain. The brain is obviously a major part of it, but you need to free up the brain from its dualistic views by residing in the heart because the heart is the only thing that can hold the non-dual state of reality. So the whole thing about the third thing network, and when I talk about the third thing, the third thing is an awakening state of consciousness that emerges like magic um, just by being able to hold this state of consciousness, the state of being. So all of my work is about residing in the heart in that way so that uh, the third, so that I can live in third thing consciousness, which then reveals a whole different level of reality. And then based on just how I'm built, right, bringing back the psychic genes and that sort of stuff, you know, what runs in my family based on that, then I might have a proclivity to talking to angels, talking to fairies or packing up boxes at Amazon. You know, it really doesn't matter to me at that point, if you're residing in your heart, it's God's work. So to bring it back full circle, when I'm residing in my heart, I know that there's other beings that are also residing in their heart. And so there's a particular kind of connection that can be made that is very trustworthy. And hmm. there's no like doubt because it's you're, you're operating in a realm that is uh, beyond doubt. It includes it, but goes beyond it in a certain way. And it's hard to describe with words. And that's why I suppose they call it mysticism but it's real and uh, you know you'll find us in any any ancient text and anything that explores mysticism you'll see that it all goes through the heart you know and i think you see like little drawings and like goes back through the back and up through here but i mean it's everyone has different ways to interpret it but that's that's what it's all about you know talk about the gates of heaven and all these kinds of things it's 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 about holding the paradox and letting some other state of reality reveal itself that was here the whole time if you can tolerate it. Again, that's the hard part. Tim, in your work, have you experienced that animals have a different relationship to these layers of reality or these different beings that, that may exist in these different realities? So, so yeah, yeah. But I'll, I'll take it a different direction. Also, you know, life is living in the third thing consciousness all the time. Life already is. Everything around me already is, is exactly what it is. It's in its awakening state. Uh, it's humans that are the problem. <laughs> yeah. We're built in a particular way to have self-reflective consciousness. And so we can do things that other animals cannot. But the, uh, these animals that, you know, that are running around my feet right now, they are already in the awakening state. And so, yeah, they have access. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind. And I believe they're consciously able to have relationships with other things within this physical space that we live. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd say, why not? Right. I mean, I do a healing sometimes and other beings show up. Oh, look at this humans doing what they're built to do. Wow. Uh, these 
these beings that show up, are they mostly curious then about what you're doing in that space? Some are curious. Some are receiving nourishment from it. Um, those are usually the two that I show that I can perceive. Are, are, are humans one of the least connected beings within the, the, the scope of the, 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 I don't know, what are we calling it? Multiverse or yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's whatever. A I, yeah. I'd like to say yes, you know, cause that's the sexy answer. Cause it's like, yeah. you like to fire underneath all our asses to, right. to go do something about it. But I, yeah. I really, I really don't know. Promo yeah. code. <laughs> wait, wait, what'd you say? Promo code. <laughs> What's the promo code? I don't know. We're making a retreat or something. Everybody <laughs> has to go. So yeah, nine thousand dollars. Right? So yes. Okay. Care to elaborate? <laughs> no, no. The answer is I don't know. The answer is gen- genuinely I don't know. But I know that it Tim, turns out. Tell yeah. me the answers about the multiverse right now. Is what I'm saying. Or you can't. I'm gonna freeze your screen again. You can't come on again. I'm gonna do. Uh, oh, okay. Quick answers. <laughs> answers and more right after this on this podcast exclusive edition of Night Drift with Jim Perry. Follow the show on social media at Euphomet, E-U-P-H-O-M-E-T. This is Jim Perry. You are listening to Night Drift, presented by Euphomet. You're listening right now to a new band called Medicine Singers, forthcoming album with our friends Joyful Noise recordings. Beautiful stuff. More on this band later. 
We're back here on Night Drift. And if you want more of the program, you can find it on the UvaMet feed wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, visit uvamet.com and follow us on social media at UvaMet. Do you have a paranormal experience that has changed your life? You know, you can share it with me at jim at uvamet.com. Most of the stories that one will hear on UvaMet now are from listeners who, whether anonymously or not, have reached out because they feel it's important to share the strange that has occurred to them. And you can do that. I invite you to do that. Taking you back now to a conversation that we had a few weeks ago with mystic Tim Rothschild and co-host Darcy Staniforth here on Night Drift. Okay, okay, let me let me take yeah. Let, let me take this in a different direction. Uh, recently, uh, Facebook has changed its name to Meta. Um, it's it's potentially, most likely, a, a, an incredible PR um, stunt and a situation uh, to to get by the the horrible practices that they have as as a company in their culture. But uh, they did bring a lot of questions to the forefront in in the general public's mind about what could be the future of our so-called reality and that is one that is augmented that is one that is potentially virtual it's essentially a soft launch or a 1.0 into something like the matrix potentially Mm -hmm. um we see other technology companies experimenting with things we see the proliferation of vr and headsets and we hear about things like Tesla and their neural links and the proliferation of us just being connected to the internet all the time through our brain and some say connecting somewhere deep into our soul. So with all this considered, you know, what, what do you, what do you feel it looks like to have reality outside of reality, outside of reality? Is, is is this situation going to take us further away from being connected and grounded into the, the, the true sort of multiverse or metaverse? Or is it going to connect us closer to those places because we're out of body? Yeah, yeah. well, that's the question, isn't it? And uh, I'm not dodging it. What I mean is uh, when people wake up, they wake up and it's on an individual level. So I can't, anybody that says they know what's going to happen here, I think is fooling themselves. And it's just a sign that they're trying to control things and they're probably in denial and so on. But I I do believe we're at a tipping point. And even just being able to talk about things like the metaverse or going to Mars or, you know, psychedelia taking over and mushrooms saving the world, you know, there's so many, or or nuclear, you know, I don't even want to say those options, but there's, there's so many opportunities here for awakening. And there's just as many for getting lost, mm-hmm. but lostness and foundness uh, go to come together in my work. <laughs> and you know how dark does it need to get before we turn on the lights and you know all these other fancy sayings. You know, but the the point is, I don't know when we're going to wake up, but I do know that that's why I keep doing this work because I believe that the consciousness that's making things like the metaverse or the consciousness of all the billionaires that are trying to become immortal, it's, it's out of relationship with the way reality actually works. You know, if you're practicing a certain kind of shamanism or dare I say a certain kind of uh, kindness, Buddhism, and you're walking with death in your hip pocket every day, 
and you're living your life in a much different way than trying to escape death, you know, well, mm-hmm. you know, death doesn't need to be a tyrant. You know, I'm looking at a Carlos Castaneda book right now. And, you know, one of the major teachings in there is to conquer death. And, you know, the, the it's Mexican mysticism, but, you know, Don Juan is, is laughing at his protege because his protege keeps talking about actually conquering death and like becoming immortal. And he's like, God, you're so stupid. It's like, why can't you just wake up and realize that it's about not fighting it anymore? And it's about mm-hmm. a different kind of surrendering and a surrendering to the way life is, to the way we react to the Tao, you know? And when you do that, it, it frees up different mechanisms in the human design and it opens you to have, well, again, more free energy. And what you do with that is up to you. So if you're part of Mexican mysticism, you're going to do what people in Mexican mysticism do, and you're going to practice a particular kind of sorcery. Well, the kind of sorcery that I've been working on to, 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 um, uh, free up my energy is to use it for healing because we mm. believe, uh, that that's the only time that you can use this kind of sorcery. And again, I'm just uh, attracted to this. I could have easily been a doctor or some other servant of mankind, you know, but I just, I just like this. I think it's cool. Yeah. Right. Well, and I, I wonder thinking about that too, like the idea of defeating death, because you brought up one of my favorite topics earlier, which is the transhumanists, uh, which are fascinating to me because they talk about so much conquering death, but they don't talk about curing disease or, you know, fixing Alzheimer's or dementia. It's really about this idea of death. Like we have to get past death where for me, I look at death as a very natural part of life. It is how we move into other spaces, how we get to leave this body into other things. But I also believe that there's something past this. And I feel like so many of the folks I encounter, whether they be transhumanists or um, uh, atheists who are just like, when you're dead, you're dead. It feels like that idea of conquering death seems to come up a little bit more because while they may not say that they are afraid that there is nothing, because it's like, well, you die and then that's it. But maybe what they're really saying is, but you die and that is it <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. Right. And so right. this idea of like, because, yeah, Buddhists, I mean, they meditate like the Dalai Lama meditates on his own death seven times a day. Right. This man lives with this. Right. He knows that this is going to be. And like you said, like a, a friend of mine who's a vet says, like, once you know you're, you're going to die, living gets a lot easier. Hmm. Well. Yeah. It, what it does is again it frees it frees stuff up you know i just um i just bought a book at my healer's request called four thousand weeks and it's uh by a guy who well basically what it says is that you only have four thousand weeks to live mm. 76 years maybe a little bit more now you know and i haven't read the book yet so i can't speak to it but it's it's very much in the in the territory that we're talking about and that you know so you know start living, you know, and it's not, again, it's not about the, the fear-based escaping and conquering death in that way. Uh, that's such a limited view. What we're talking about is surrendering to the way, just mm. the way life is. And with that, you know, the more in touch with that you can be, that's where all the good stuff is. You know, I can't tell you what it's going to be because that's a part of the mystery, but that's, that's where you get the cities, you get the powers, or you have that kindness or you're able to cook a meal that somehow cures cancer you know like it's like that kind of vibe yeah you know at some point 
it's it's two pages long. I just right before the show started, for some reason, I just I grabbed the I grabbed a book. I saw this book called uh, "The Active Side of Infinity." It's by Carlos Castaneda, and I know there's some uh, cons- uh, not conspiracy, some uh, conflict around whether or not he was the real deal or not. But there's still a lot that we can get out of those writings, and there's a great maybe three paragraphs on death. Would you uh, would you allow me to read them? Is that- Please. Yeah, we could on a show like this. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not Please. too boring. Be more no, apparent. no. So uh, this it's actually it's this is one of my favorite poems uh, ever. So it's called syntax. And if you don't get it, we can unpack it too. It's the best. I used to start some of my workshops like this, and I I just I just read this, and I'd be like, so what do you think? And people would have <laughs> no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so bear with me. So it's called syntax. A man staring at his equations said that the universe had a beginning. There had been an explosion, he said, a bang of bangs, and the universe was born. And it is expanding, he said. He had even calculated the length of its life, 10 billion revolutions of the earth around the sun. The entire globe cheered. They found his calculations to be science. None thought that by proposing that the universe began, the man had merely mirrored the syntax of his mother tongue, a syntax which demands beginnings like birth and developments like maturation and ends like death as statements of facts. The universe began and it is getting old the man assured us, and it will die, like all things die, like he himself died after confirming mathematically the syntax of his mother tongue. And here's the other half. It's called the other syntax. Did the universe really begin? Is the theory of the Big Bang true? These are not questions though they sound like they are. Is the syntax that requires beginnings, developments, and ends as statements of fact the only syntax that exists? That's the real question. There are other syntaxes. There is one, for example, which demands that varieties of intensity be taken as facts. In that syntax, nothing begins and nothing ends. Thus, birth is not a clean, clear-cut event, but a specific type of intensity. And so is maturation. And so is death. A man of that syntax, looking over his equations, finds that he has calculated enough varieties of intensity to say with authority that the universe never began and will never end but that it has gone and is going now and will go through endless fluctuations of intensity. That man could very well conclude that the universe itself is the chariot of intensity and that one can board it to journey through changes without end. He will conclude all that and much more, perhaps without ever realizing that he is merely confirming the syntax of his mother tongue. Hmm. <laughs> Riding waves, huh? 
And that doesn't that encapsulate just what we we're talking about pretty good? Yeah. Sure does. If anyone in the room would like to come on and make comments or, or ask questions about that, um, feel free. I'd love to see your face. Uh, so would everyone else and uh, hear your voice as we're reconnecting here on this uh, on this very program. Yeah, I got to say, Tim, the synchronicity, I'm currently for a, a teaching team assignment reading John Caputo's The Weakness of God. Mm-hmm. And in that book, he is talking about how we use this word, this name of God to be this like top down power, to be the ultimate in patriarchy, the ultimate in colonizer, the ultimate definer of what power and structure is. And so you reading that, I was like, yes, that is the kind of thing he was talking about. Like we create this language and that is how we define it. And then we give all this meaning to the language that we've given to it. Yeah. And it pulls out the mystery. It pulls out because we have to make sense of it. And when we make sense of it, it is so limiting. And, and the syntax of the mother tongue, it, the, the, the author is not saying one is better than the other. What, it, what they're pointing out is the nature versus nurture aspect, right? Mm-hmm. We all, all, the, the genes are all here. The genes are holographic. The, everything is right here. But the syntax of our family systems and the, the impact on our consciousness is what we derive from reality. And, that's, and, and then we live it. Right. The whole everybody cheered. You, you calculated. We called it science, you know, and then the other side, it's like, no, this is a chariot of intensity. Nothing ever ends. Well, in my work, we hold both. And mm-hmm. then if, another, if there's another reality that shows up, we hold that one. There's another one. We try our best to hold that one. And maybe we get sick for six years. I don't know. But keep trying, you know. <laughs> well, and going back to what we were talking about with the side genes being genetic but then being suppressed right so if the mother tongue is what is suppressing those things and that line keeps carrying through through generations and generations of suppressing these gifts then that awakening does not come perhaps for generations yeah Hmm. you know and it might take because in the kabbalah what you'd say is you know so something is out of they don't know this because everyone's cheering so loud but there's some aspect of relationship of, of reality that they're out of relationship with some aspect of reality that they're not awakened to some totality right so they've only got a small bite well that means that at some point it is inevitable they are going to have a shattering and the shattering is built into the capitalistic creation process it's necessary for evolution it can be a little baby shattering and it can be a major one like a loss of a loved one mm. but the shattering means that the structure the framework the syntax with which you hold reality has now broken apart and it's got it's chaotic and that chaos begs for evolution and some new form to come forward that can tolerate more of the light, more of the information to hold in that vessel, us, our consciousness. And then we live for a certain amount of time until the next one happens. And that's it. Amazing. Um, we're talking about the nature of reality. We're talking about our relationship to it. We're talking about life and death. And we're also talking about potentially, you know, sort of, nature and nurture where we come from um heather has a question relating to uh, potentially something that comes from somewhere else and and she's asking tim what you think about star seeds a lot of people in the spiritual community talk about them yeah 
you know, my first introduction to star seeds was when I was first getting into this and I was on my way to an ayahuasca ceremony, uh, again with David Weiss, we mentioned him earlier and, uh, a woman, uh, dropped to her knees in front of me and grabbed my hands and started crying, saying that I was a star seed. So at the time I loved it. Oh my God. It was like, I am a star seed. I'm the greatest in the world, you know? And I'd done. And so because of that, I spent many years actually researching star seeds and understanding, you know, what, what happens when a soul enters the body and all, all you know, the whole spectrum of exploration there. Um, the whole point is that, you know, I, I really like Dolores Cannon's work. Are you guys familiar with Dolores Cannon? Mm-hmm. You know, she was a, a past life regressionist, a hypnotherapist. She started off as a hypnotherapist, became a past life regressionist. But essentially what she figured out how to do is bypass not just the conscious mind, not just the subconscious mind, but she exposed or connected to source itself or what she called the superconscious. And uh, she did this for like 40 years. I'm, I'm, I'm getting the 40 from somewhere. It's either like 40,000 hours of this or something like that. It's some incredible number of hypnosis sessions. And I've worked with personally a lot of people that I've trained underneath her and they're all the real deal. And let me tell you, you know, the, the books that she has written, um, really lend themselves to the mystery. And so one of my favorites is the three waves of volunteers. And it says, basically, I'm not going to get it right, but you'll get the spirit of what I'm saying, you know, from in the sixties and seventies, a particular kind of soul was born into, uh, the human vessel. And in the eighties and nineties, a particular kind of soul was, and then after that, the third wave came in and the whole goal of this was that they were volunteers from all over the universe that were asked to come and help raise earth's vibration. You know, the same way that I'm talking about the fairies are trying to reach out to raise earth's vibration because again, the earth is, uh, is living on multiple planes at once, right? So we're not awake to some of the higher vibrations apparently, you know, but that doesn't mean that it's not evolving anyway. And again, this is sort of above my pay grade and how it works, but certain ways that you don't, there's, there's beginning to be a little bit too much separation between the realms and that's becoming a problem, which is why you need to have healing. So another word for separation, by the way, is evil, the devil, ignorance, all these kinds of things. So it's all held within the same fractal network, right? And then you can just go explore it as long as you got the map you know, based on who you are and what you're attracted to, you can go explore it. So when I break down what healing is, I'm looking for whenever I do something or say something, I'm hoping that I can uh, bring things together and I'm not separating things, you know, I only separate something if they're not supposed to be together and it's an unhealthy uh, Mm. connection in some way. Can I share with, um, share something with you? Um, When you talk about the ability to talk to angels. Angels scare me. And they scare me because if angels exist, that also means something else exists. Doesn't it? Yeah, I would think so. So, when you're talking about separation, and you're talking about the different ways that that that, that can be presented... It can be presented as something as evil. I don't swim in these waters of talking about demons often, or if ever. They're not within my sort of lexicon de paranormal. Mm -hmm. But that's what scares me about the idea of angels. Is that if angels exist, do demons as well? 
yeah and again it's not in my lexicon either well meaning like i don't want to go near i don't feel i don't feel pull to explore that at all even though i've got i love angels i love angels i love saints i love anything that's going to help yeah (laughs) help i like helpers and um in my way i like helping those that are lost or I, i you know in some ways when i think of demonic things i think of disturbances think of something some kind of consciousness some kind of entity that is disturbed and so you know in my understanding of the nature of reality life is always attempting to heal itself in one way or another and sometimes that can express itself in really fucked up ways Mm -hmm. so how could how could a school shooting be an example of an attempt to heal right that's one of the questions that I might sit with for a little while. Right. So when I think about it, that's how I would initially enter into an exploration of angels and demons is I'd be looking at them as um, how is this an expression of something that's trying to heal, but is so disturbed that it ends up doing something malevolent and hurtful. And, and when we're thinking about these things and we're thinking about angels, we're thinking about demons we're once again talking about syntax aren't we yeah we're talking about the universe or the or the, the the state of reality which could also be within syntax god maybe as you've suggested to me several times when i become uncomfortable with this idea maybe that's a lowercase g and we could be interpreting the presentation of these different frequencies as things that are reflective upon ourselves right so angels become reflective quality based on our state of nurture. Yeah. Say, say that again. Angels are reflective quality based on our state of nurture. Yeah. We have grown accustomed to familiarize ourselves, whatever that presentation is on yeah. the idea of. Well, again, you know, it's always a cooperative thing, you know, and there might be one who's a little bit, you know, if, if, if me and you, Jim, we've got to pull some wagon that has like, a thousand pounds worth of stuff on it, right? You know, who knows at this point who the stronger one out of the two of us is? <laughs> we, we don't know. I'm going to drop that right away, right? You're going to you're going to pull most of the weight, right? But we'll both be pulling it together, and there will be a picture of you know you and me doing it. It's just the first example that came to mind. Point is, when I connect with my brother on the other side, when we connect, there's a particular third thing that shows up there for us. There's a reality that's born that's only there for you and for for me and him, and his his image. Uh, changed over over the years. You know, the way he appeared to me changed. So our ideas of angels will always be colored by our internal narratives, right? But sometimes that can be stored also in our genetics and so on and so forth, right? So they could show up as a, a burning chariot uh, or they could show up as an angel with wings. And uh, it, essentially what it is, again, it's this cooperative thing. It's based on who we are, how we're built, and how awake we are to our biases about what reality is and how it's going to work with us and how we work with it and how awake this other intelligence is as it attempts to connect with us at the same time. Because not everybody who's dead is really good at connecting to, uh, to the living. You know, they've got other things going on. Not Tell me day. about it. Yeah, right? Come on. But you get the point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it, it becomes more complex, but at the same time, uh, it's it's the same sort of structure, all all around. Tim, you're becoming John Keel. So what's happening here? 
So this tell is, me, this is great. It was John Keel. This again? is great. We're gonna have a John Keel slumber party when I come <laughs> over next, and we're going to revel in that. More music here from my friends at Joyful Noise Recordings. This is Deer Hoof. We'll be back with more Night Drift right after this. relationship to it. This is Night Drift with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. We're back here on Night Drift and we're going to listener calls. John, how you doing, man? Hey, how's it going, everyone? Um, yeah, just talking about that made me think of uh, some things I was researching. So um, I kept coming across these like electrical interferences when it came with like ufo stuff so uh you know clocks stopping tvs humming acting up um and more specifically like car engines just stopping all the time Mm -hmm. so i thought this was super interesting and i started looking for like other weird things that did this and there's a specific 
uh, report in Washington near Mount Rainier. And it um, was something called bat squatch. If you've ever heard mm-hmm. of bat squatch. Sure. Um, so this guy's driving, his name's Brian Kingfield. He's like driving near Mount Rainier and all of a sudden his car engine stops. And about 30 feet away, he sees this giant nine foot tall winged creature with uh, yellow eyes and sharp teeth and uh, blue fur. And it just looks over at him and then starts flapping its wings and flies off to Mount Rainier. And then his car engine starts. Um, So (laughs) I, I started going like, you know, if you just inserted like spaceship instead of the winged creature landing next to the, you know, highway. Yeah. It it would be like a very standard, you know, report. Yeah. So just you talking about, yeah, angels and demons and how we perceive things and how we kind of like put things into this box of understanding. It's like someone sees a ball of light and someone sees a giant blue furry monster (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. flying. And, and uh, some of the, the situations are kind of the same. So yeah, yeah, that, that made me think about, you know, your conversation with reality. So that's where my brain went. (laughs) John, that's fascinating, man. I mean, I think that the paranormal can be such an interesting lens to view the nature of reality through when paired with an understanding of what some of these ancient ancient mythic traditions and, and, and teachings can can kind of show us or kind of lean into. Again, like, you know, much to Tim's chagrin, I'm, I'm not a non-dual Kabbalist, but I tell him often that uh, just having a, a little bit of an understanding of that non-dual process has allowed me to uh, step away from sort of the the over-intellectualizing of the paranormal that exists and to just feel through the different qualities that things are these things are presented. And sometimes it does mean that, you know, um, you replace that Sasquatch with a gray alien and you start to see some of the same parallels in, in some of these occurrences and stories based upon whatever that reflective quality is, whatever that relationship is that that person has to that either belief system or idea or iconography, right? Um, what's interesting is, is you know, John Mack had this experience going, going with the UFO angle. John Mack had that experience at the aerial school. You know, um, th- this this country he went to, uh, he there was a school, right? Aerial school. Uh, dozens of children all witnessed during recess a craft land and beings come out and these beings giving them a specific message. This was all during recess. None of the adults allegedly saw this. John Mack traveled there and interviewed each each child that had this sighting. Now, John Mack, um, a, a, a Harvard psychiatrist, right? Um, sort of the, the, the cream of the crop in terms of his relationship with modern scientific uh, psychology at that time. He discovered through his process of interviewing all these children that, yeah, there were paramount similarities in their stories for what they were saying, but... Because this was an expat school in a foreign country, there was a lot of different children from a lot of different backgrounds. 
And depending on that individual child's cultural upbringing, the, the, the shape, the color, the presentation of what these specific beings and or craft looked like or what they communicated to them uh, was definitely influenced by whatever that was, whatever that upbringing was. And I think there's moments like that that dive completely into what you're saying, Tim. It's compelling, isn't it? Very it, much so. It, it makes sense. You know, you, I, you, you have to sort of pull the brakes a little bit before you say, yeah, that's it. But it sure yeah. feels right. It feels like a bigger chunk of the truth than uh, we've ever had, doesn't it? Yeah, very much so. Everyone, uh, thank you for joining in this conversation. Before we before we exit, I want to spend a little bit of time with John in in hearing his full story about his experience and and you know getting getting feedback from Tim too because uh, one of the things I'm really interested in with Tim is getting his perspective as as a non dual shamanic healer uh, within the realm of the paranormal. I think that has become apparent over the last uh, one hour and twenty minutes. So I. Uh, <laughs> I digress, but John, um, yeah, please, man, uh, share your story at length. I'm, I'm very, I'm very fascinated and interested. Yeah. So, um, last night when I called in, um, I was talking about this kind of specific time frame where I used to lucid dream all the time in my like late teens to early twenties and kind of the peak of it being at this one apartment, like my very first apartment. So super, you know, liminal person at the time, like graduated high school, first job, first apartment, like transitioning. Um, and I would lucid dream there almost every night. And, uh, for me, you know, that usually meant like walking around the apartment, not really realizing I was dreaming at first and then kind of realizing and flying away and, you know, going <laughs> some other place. Um, but with that, you know, I had tons of sleep paralysis and night tears and it got so bad in the bedroom that I just associated that bedroom with sleep paralysis and night tears. Wow. So I would just pull the mattress into the living room and just sleep studio apartment style the bedroom was now a storage unit you know um and one night i was sleeping in the living room and i would always have that door closed and i open what i would call like my second set of eyes when as soon as i'd fall asleep i'd lucid dream like wake up but mm. it, the sensation was a little different mm. um but I did that. And instead of, you know, walking around or flying off, I just immediately started floating up <laughs> and I, I turn kind of float turned and could see my mattress. So I'm like, I'm in my bedroom still. And I start to be dragged backwards, uh, being like pulled. So I turned and I could see that I was going to that room and there was no door. It was just a, it was a black void. Um, which made it scarier for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I couldn't stop. I was like swimming, <laughs> trying to swim away, you know? Yeah. And, um, so I go into there and, and it was dark for quite a while. And then I kind of get dropped into this, like the, the scariest nightmare of my life that I don't really want to like get into. Um, but 
I, none of my like snap yourself out of it. Things were working because I'd kind of trained myself to wake myself up when, mm. you know, nightmares got scary. Yeah. Um, none of it was working. And I finally, I get pulled out. Um, again, I go through the dream and then back into the darkness and then my room and my mattress and float back down. And as soon as my head, you know, hits the pillow, I, I wake up. And so now that room is like, I'm scared of it during the daytime now too. You know, it's not right. just dreams. It's just like really terrified of that Yeah, there's place. something wrong in that room. Like I don't yeah, want to go back in there. Something, something's off about that room. Right. <laughs> and um, so one day I'm in my apartment by myself and I am just sitting on the couch. The door's closed, per usual. Uh, I go to grab a book off the shelf and it is like kind of the lowest book on the shelf. So I'm bent down, of course, my head like right by the door. And uh, on the other side of the door is just three boom, boom, boom knocks like right where my head is. And I just, um, you know, walked backwards, <laughs> sat on the couch and kind of like stared at the door for quite a while um, until I got the nurse to check and open it and, you know, see that there's nothing in there or at least mm. nothing I could see uh, in there at the time. Um, and yeah, I kept, I kept lucid dreaming and, you know, kept having sleep paralysis, but I would avoid that room uh, like the plague. So yeah, mm. from dreamland to um, horror movie, poltergeist ghost trope thing, yeah, which right. I was aware of, you know? So let me just say, so you had, you were, you were, conscious awake yeah normal life when the yes bang, when the bangs showed up mm -hmm. yeah man you gave me you gave me a special kind of chills you know what i mean is, <laughs> sorry <laughs> no what i mean is like that uh i believe you and that's that's <laughs> that is scary man <laughs> and uh you know my dad has this really really interesting experience which is why i'm into all this because he's always been into it because he had a like you say jim traumatic paranormal experience when he was in his teens and it also involved three knocks and i, I didn't know that until years later really um, but yeah his story is really um experience i should say is really intense because he's super skeptical always has been and it, I felt like it had to be this intense for him to, you know, open his mind to it. And now, now I'm into it. So, yeah. Like a, so, I mean, you're into it, but you're also, you're an active participant in it, in that you're creating content, you're exploring stories, you're, you're sharing different stories from different authors and, and, uh, experiencers out there. Is there a part of your work that, uh, I mean, Frank is different, is different than mine in, in that, um, it the fear and the unknown of that 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 happened to not just you but your father ha, have you found that that immersing yourself in in that work allows you to change your relationship to that fear of of what happened on that night yeah totally and that was that event was kind of a tail end of a, a much longer uh intense kind of experience um, but I, I feel like, yeah, re researching it and just like diving into the mystery and, you know, like 
Tim was saying, like, I, I have just accepted that I will never know what any of this means. And I, I think just this search is what I enjoy. And, and, and it does like, it's made me less scared, uh, for sure. Um, obviously in the moment <laughs> there can be some terrifying moments, but you know, accepting that that happened and I'm in a way grateful because, you know, yeah. Now I've met all you and, you know, I work, work with you on youth met doing music and, and working on the podcast has really kind of given me like a focus, you know? So it, it's definitely like the traumatic event has turned into like the best part of my life somehow. That's awesome. So that's awesome. Tim, what does that say about the nature reality there when these horrific events that occur to us actually lead to something much more rad yeah i was gonna say it looks like it gave you a healing john but for me i i, I need some support over here that scared the shit out of me <laughs> <laughs> i don't like hearing stories like that you know i i like to live in the light and all that you know it's like oh my god so um you know good good for you for, for turning it into something positive wow. yeah thank you that's awesome, man. Jeez, John, you've got a euphemet feature in you. You could feel, though, uh, how... I don't want to just reuse a word that we used earlier. It's like how an event like that can draw you closer to the nature of reality in a particular way. It's like not just a curiosity. You know, compelling is is a word that we've used, but a certain amount of respect and humility, mm -hmm. how it can cultivate all those kinds of really uh, important qualities if you're going to be an actual explorer of the nature of reality. So you don't pursue it with a particular kind of arrogance, but you can see possibly the sacredness in, in all of this and honor it in a particular way. And so, um, yeah, you can, you can feel how it's changed you. Yeah. So that's what I'd say about that. How does that feel to you, John? Yeah, I agree. And um yeah, I I I'm grateful in the in the strangest in the strangest way. So glad you're okay. Thank you. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, totally resonates. Thank you so much for sharing that, John. Mm-hmm. I very much appreciate that. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. What a what a story that is and how revealing it is to to us that we can kind of be here talking for, you know, an hour and a half, you know, blowing our minds with some of these ideas. And uh it's as simple as three knocks that send us shivering, <laughs> you know? And and that's that's how it should be. Um, listen, everybody, it's almost midnight uh, over at the Hudson, and so we need to put Tim to bed. And um, I need to go eat a late, uh, you know, um, moderately late sandwich. And um, I appreciate so much the support everyone has continued to give me, even though I've been, um, you know, absent working on things. I will tell you that, like, uh, I am so far into a very complicated edit for uh, the next season of Euphemet. And it's been taking essentially all of my free time 
aside from the night drift stuff. So uh, I think I think everyone is going to be really pleasantly surprised with what we put together. And um, yeah, so I, I love you guys so much and I appreciate all your support. And this was fun and we'll do it again soon. And Darcy, thank you so much for joining. You're welcome. Thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. And what an exhilarating conversation this has been. And uh, Tim, a uh, rare form, my friend. Now you're going to be getting me bugging you way more often. That's what because I'm going to go, there's, I'm going to say there's no excuse now. And, I, and, and I'm going to pull you right in. Do it. Okay. Jim's going to be using suck it up buttercup a lot, I feel like. <laughs> That's the one. It'll work. That's the you one. I'm going to raz you like your college football buddies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, thank you so much, everybody. Uh, appreciate you, and uh, we'll I'll I'll have this posted up on uh, the Patreon if you want to watch it later. And uh, have a good night, everyone. Take care. show on social media at Euphomet, E-U-P-H-O-M-E-T. No alien, just a system of truth.